Thanks, Ray. In the name of the Father and the Son and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. As some of you know, um, in my other life, I am somewhat of a sports fan. Um, I have said to many of you that the only thing that has kept me in the ministry this long is a DVR and uh, Sunday's uh, version of Sports Final Edition. Um, What some of you may not be aware of is that I am also a card-carrying member of the Bob Euchre Club. Uh, For those of you who are not familiar with Bob Euchre, he's the guy who finds himself up in the top row of any sporting event. And having done over 10 years of youth ministry over the years, um, the reality is I have found myself in the top row of virtually every sports venue in Metro Detroit, usually accompanied by 10 or 20 senior highs. Actually, it's not just sporting events. I I remember a number of years ago, uh, we went to see Cats at the Fisher. I I remember sitting so high up that really it could have been dogs running around on on the stage. I I think I saw Seinfeld uh, at the Fox in a chair that was beyond the last row of chairs, of seats. But of course, being a native New Yorker, I am not always ready to just stay in the seat assigned to me, much to the chagrin of my wife. Um, And so usually, somewhere around the third or the fourth inning, um, the beginning of the second quarter or period, my eyes begin to roam and I look for seats that I am sure a very well-intentioned and very generous season ticket holder is not using uh, that particular night. Uh, Some of you call this seat hopping. And as some of you also know, uh, when you play that game, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. Our gospel lesson this morning is about seat hopping. It's about people who find their way to seats uh, where they really don't belong. And I suspect it grows out of a a single event in Jesus' life. Uh, In this particular case, a party. As he was milling around at this party, Jesus noticed two things. Uh, First of all, he noticed the behavior of some of those who had also been invited. Now, it sounds like it was a large gathering with a number of people milling around. And Jesus watched as these people came in and some of them, either subtly or not so subtly, were elbowing their way to try to find their way to the best seats. Nothing really uncommon about this. Wherever two or more are gathered, there has always been some kind of stratification taking place. Every culture has had its equivalent of a head table and the back row, the orchestra seats and the balcony, first class, second class, third class. Really, every era has had some kind of pecking order. Given that structure, there are always people whose primary agenda at the party or in life is finding their way to the head table. And Jesus looked around and he saw that pattern 
taking place. He also noticed the demeanor of his host. Now, probably on the outside, this Pharisee, this upstanding, very religious person, was gracious and energetic, very hospitable. But as Jesus looked at him more carefully, he saw the lines of anxiety in his face. There was a kind of drivenness about the way he was going through the motions. And it wasn't too hard to discover why that grimness uh, was at work. He was obviously giving this party out of a sense of duty. So if King of the Mountain was the game that the guests were playing, Payback was the host's game. He was obviously trying to either repay old obligations or he was trying to create new ones for the future. In other words, he was giving this party out of a sense of wanting to get something for himself. And you know as well as I do, there is a world of difference between giving a gift, wrapping it in ribbons because you want to give a present to somebody you love versus giving that same gift and tying it up with strings that you are going to pull back later on. So Jesus walked around the party and with his x-ray eyes, he sees this undercurrent of self-seeking, just a tragic picture of how life is not to be lived. And so he utters this warning to those who are scrambling for the best seats. And at the same time, he offers his host a different way of looking at things. I think it's safe to say that there was a common cause behind the grimness that Jesus was seeing here, really on every hand. Both the guests and the host were in this too much for what they could get for themselves rather than what they would give of themselves. And Jesus suggests that this is the oldest, perhaps the most widely held, mistaken notion in all of our human experience. In fact, here is a place where all of the world's religions converge, as different as they may be on other things. That those who exalt themselves are going to be humbled. And those who humble themselves, that is, those who give themselves to causes bigger than themselves, are eventually going to be exalted. Read the teachings not only of Jesus, but of the Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad. All of these agree. Self-assertion is not the path to self-fulfillment. Years ago, C.S. Lewis was asked to give the baccalaureate address to the graduating class at Oxford University. And he chose for that address uh, as his text our lesson for this morning. And he said to that aspiring group of graduates that because of their education, because of their privilege, they were destined someday to become the inner circle of power in the British Empire. He said there are two ways that you can take towards that inner circle. The first is to try to maneuver your way in as quickly as you can by hook or 
crook try to get to the prestige and the power that you are seeking. But if you try to do that, he said, you are taking a very risky course indeed. He said, the other way is to concentrate on doing good work. Take whatever is your discipline and master it. Make excellence what you are really concerned about. And he said, you can trust that in the long run, other craftspersons will recognize your good work and they will give you the recognition that you deserve. What Lewis was saying, I think, is that in the long run, there are no shortcuts. People who are genuinely serving something bigger than themselves are eventually going to emerge quite differently than people who are only serving themselves. So Jesus said to the people, if you go to a party and you have your eye on that special seat, when somebody else comes along who is truly deserving, you are going to be embarrassed and you are going to be replaced. On a much more superficial level, I remember a professor at seminary uh, talking about how this text got acted out right there at our seminary. Apparently, it was back in the 1950s, and uh, the seminary had an agreement with the theater in town that seminarians could come and usher, and then they would get to see the show for free. The way it worked is that you showed up an hour before, you helped people find their way to their seats, and then when the show started, uh, if there were seats available, you could just sit and watch. And there were enough Scottish Presbyterians in the class at that time that that was a very popular idea. Well, apparently there was a third-year student uh, who was very cocky. In fact, chutzpah, the Yiddish term chutzpah, is the term that our professor used to describe him. And one fall, he was particularly enamored with uh, a new student who had shown up on campus. He very much wanted to impress her. She apparently did not know about this deal between the seminary and the theater. He invited her to go to the show. Uh, it was, incidentally, uh, allowed that you would uh, have a date who could come with you, but the deal was that you had to wait until the show started before you would be seated. But he was really that cocky that he ignored that, he, uh, he pretended to have bought her an expensive ticket. He brought her in and very ceremoniously sat her down in a choice seat. He said, I'm going to have to go now and uh, help with the ushering, but I'll be back. Well, by actual count, that young, young woman was moved four times before the show started, each time with some degree of embarrassment and confusion. It may not surprise you that those two names never appear on the same marriage certificate together. Um, what could have been a very promising relationship ended that night simply because he was so self-serving. And life does have a way of displaying and then displacing the egotist. So Jesus says, it is a risky path to take through life. And if you know anything about the dynamics of human behavior, you understand why he said that. Because the truth is that when we are thinking primarily about ourselves, it limits our creativity rather than sparking it. 
One of the great preachers of the 20th century was a man by the name of Paul Scherer. He, uh, for 25 years, preached at the Lutheran Church of the Holy Spirit on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and later went on to teach homiletics at Union Seminary there in New York. Sometime before he died, he told uh, uh, of a personal experience that he had had as a young man. Apparently, he had graduated first in his class from whatever Lutheran seminary he attended here in the States, and then went on to uh, study preaching in Edinburgh, which at the time was known as the best place to go to study homiletics. He was the only American in his class, and his reputation had preceded him as a very prominent, aspiring young minister. So he was very anxious to impress. In that school, uh, every student was required each term to preach once in the morning chapel services. And Paul's turn came late in the term. Um, he had already made a number of friends, so he was doubly anxious to impress them with his gifts. He said he worked very hard in preparing the sermon. In fact, he invested too much of himself uh, in how well he was going to do. When the actual preaching event came, he was so filled with anxiety. He was so concerned for himself that it choked all of his spontaneity. He actually muffed several key phrases. He left out a whole important part of the sermon. And when it was over, by any standard you could measure, uh, it had been a total fiasco. He didn't really need anybody else to tell him that, he, he knew it. He was so embarrassed that he couldn't face the other students and the faculty at the coffee hour following the chapel service. He ducked out the back door, went to his dorm room, and just burned with humility, with, with humiliation. A short time later, there was a knock at the door, and in walked the old professor of preaching, who he, of course, had crossed the oceans to study under. At first, the prof just took a seat on the end of the bed and shared that silence. But after a while, he said, it didn't sing today, did it, Paul? No, sir, uh, it didn't, was the reply. There was another pause, and the prof said, Paul, when it comes to preaching, we don't matter a damn. He said, people come to church to learn how great God is, not to see how great the preacher is. He must increase, we must decrease. When it comes to preaching, Paul, we don't matter a damn. And a short time later, he left. And Paul said those words burned their way into his soul. He never forgot them. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is trying to help us see this morning. If we are so full of ourselves, we are doing something very risky that in the long run is going to be found out. The truth is, when we are primarily out to get for ourselves, we are rarely 
rarely at our best. And I share that with you this morning because I think what Paul Scherer said about preaching and about preachers applies to every one of us in our life's ministries, whether it be here in the church or whether it is outside of these walls. You know as well as I do, there are all kinds of clubs and organizations out there that you have to apply for membership to. There are all kinds of sports teams that you have to try out for. And each of those clubs and organizations uh, has certain privileges that come with it. Question. What privilege comes with being a member of a church? Anybody can worship. Anyone is invited to the Lord's table. There is no potluck. There is no small group that you cannot be a part of. There are no seats of honor down in the front, in fact. You may have had the experience of visiting in a church and sitting in a seat that looks like it's not occupied, only to discover that someone walks in and scowls at you because you are sitting in their seat. Of course, that would never happen here. No, membership has little to do with getting seats of honor. In fact, it is much more about finding someone else a seat. The real member gives up his or her seat for the newcomer, for the stranger, just like you would in your own home. Membership has its privileges, but it is not about seats of honor. It's about choosing to be part of the team. When you stop talking about your church or the church and you begin talking about our church or his church, it's about the decision to carry on part of your life's ministry in this place, among this community of people, to work side by side, rolling up your sleeves with this group of people. When Mary Martin uh, retired from her wonderful Broadway career, uh, Peter Pan, South Pacific, any number of titles, um, I remember there was a wonderful article about her in the New Yorker magazine. Um, the author said something about her I have never forgotten. He said, the secret of Mary Martin's incredible career is no audience ever loved Mary Martin more than Mary Martin loved that audience. He said, going all the way back to high school when she started her acting career, she began um, a ritual. Before every performance, she would peek open the curtain. She would look out and she would say from the depths of her being, I love you and I want to give you a gift. And it was that desire to give her gift as a blessing to the audience that unlocked her creativity. I believe this with all of my heart. Serving something bigger than ourselves, giving and not getting, is the key to fulfillment. It's a truth where all of the major religions of the world converge 
And it is a truth that our culture has now forgotten. Some time ago, I remember hearing something about stagecoaches that I had never known. You know that even back in those days, there were first class, second class, and third class tickets. The tickets didn't pertain to where you sat in the coach or what kind of food you were served. It had everything to do with what you were uh, required to do in an emergency. Realize that in those days, the roads uh, were sometimes impassable, muddy. Sometimes the hills were too steep for the horses to get over. So when you got to a place where there was real difficulty, if you had a first-class ticket, you could stay in the coach. Nothing was required of you. If you had a second-class ticket, then you did have to get out of the coach and walk up the hill by yourself just to lighten the load. And if you had a third-class ticket, it meant that you had to get down and join the driver and the horses in getting down in the mud and pushing the stagecoach through or pushing it up the hill. Jesus reversed that hierarchy of values. Because when it's all over and the curtain comes down, and you and I have only memories of our days and nights. I promise you this. It won't be the times that you pampered yourself. It won't be the times that you thought of yourself first that you will remember. Your most lasting joys will be those moments when you got down in the mud and did something for somebody else, gave yourself to something bigger than yourself. True greatness is not about self-promotion. It is about self-giving. Membership has its privileges. Amen.